Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new episode of LavaCon, where we gather and share expert insights on security program management delivered with, by, and for the most respected security leaders around the world. Together, we'll explore solutions to the most pressing business challenges unique to the careers of CISOs and cybersecurity executives. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello there, this is Sean Martin, and you're very welcome to a new episode of the Blue Lava Community here on ITSP Magazine. Here's where we get to talk about all things for the CISO, by the CISO, and we actually have somebody who knows this role extremely well. Rock Lambos, thanks for uh, joining us. Thank you, Sean. And uh, you're a familiar face in the community on ITSP Magazine and certainly in the Blue Lava community as well. And uh, there may be some folks still that don't know who Rock is. (laughs) So a few moments, uh, your role, what you're up to, and uh, why this topic of OTIT security convergence today. Sure. Thanks, Sean. So I'm Rock Lambros, the CEO and founder of Rock Cyber, a cybersecurity consulting organization based in Denver, uh, Colorado. Uh, I've been in the industry for well over 20 years, mostly as a practitioner. We founded Rock Cyber about three and a half years ago. Prior to founding Rock Cyber and most relevant for the topic that we're discussing today, um, I led, built and led the IT and OT security program for an oil and gas company here in Denver that was then later acquired by Marathon Petroleum. And then, you know, after a couple of years of uh, integration there, um, decided I wanted to hang my own shingle and and here we are. Thank you, Sean, for having me. Super cool. And um, I I think, I guess the the first question I want to ask is how how prevalent OT is in uh, the world of now. I presume the CISOs listening to this will either know if OT is prevalent <laughs> for them or not. Right. Um, but generally speaking, I want to I get a sense of that, and then we'll get into how, how involved is the CISO in securing OT, which we'll, we'll dig into sure. later. But just generally, do you see a lot of OT in general business, or is it still kind of stuck in oil and gas and manufacturing and maybe healthcare? Where do you see OT? Is, is, does IoT change that picture? I think IoT does change that picture. And IoT or industrialized IoT is essentially the fabric uh, that underlies IT, OT convergence. But let's talk about what OT is for a second and just kind of lay the groundwork. And OT is really um, any programmable system or device that monitors and controls physical processes and infrastructure components. So think things like uh, power turbines, oil and gas pipelines, medical devices, uh, things of the such. So I think we're 
IT OT convergence, I mean, we're seeing it more in industry because I think it's becoming like table stakes just for competing in the market. Um, this convergence is allowing companies um, to um, introduce cost savings by lowering uh, operating costs through resource, optimizing resource utilization, uh, better performance uh, by generating more and accurate uh, and meaningful KPIs and OKRs, uh, improve visibility of end-to-end throughout the environment, environment actual time data, and then increase operational standards uh, across the organization. So is there an example, Rock, where there's maybe see industrialized IoT device in an organization that, that perhaps uh, IT is not aware of? Oh, IT is not aware often, sadly, all over the place in OT. Um, and sometimes even OT isn't aware of IoT or industrialized IoT or even OT assets in OT. But, um, I mean, we can think of, like, devices. So oil and gas companies or power companies can um, reduce their operating costs by selling uh, power to the market or the power mix by optimizing the power mix of the energy they sell to the market based on the prevailing uh, energy commodity prices. So things like that. And is that, so I, I can, in oil and gas, uh, in, in manufacturing, I can see valves and machinery and things like that. But I'm thinking is a, I'm thinking of a, of a building, right? Where a company yeah. operates and maybe security, physical security walks around and they have to tap a, a sensor. Yep. Is that considered IT or OT? I consider it operational technology because it still it, it, it affects a change on a physical device, meaning you, know, you, you scan a badge on a badge reader, it flips a lock, right? Or it flips a magnetic lock. Um, but in buildings, you see obviously the physical security systems, the cameras, um, building management systems, uh, HVAC, right? All that stuff I would consider OT. And that, that harkens back to uh, a nice uh, HVAC story that we heard many, many years ago. Uh, so I, I presume a lot of people might think about that. Uh, let, all right, so that, that gives me a good picture. So there are certainly things running on networks that are not, IT devices. So talk to me about the the network then. Are they completely separate networks? And is that why IT is not aware of them? Or do they cross over onto IT networks? What does that look like? Yeah, so uh, that's kind of like multi-layered, right? So from a, a, a technology standpoint, they should be separate networks, um, IT and OT. Obviously, the convergence means there's some sort of either connectivity, transferring of data, um, whatnot between the two networks. Um, an FBI agent once told me, and I love this analogy, that a totally air-gapped network is like a unicorn. Everybody's heard of them, but nobody's actually seen one. Um, and now we've even seen uh, radio attacks that can, that can jump and bridge uh, air-gapped networks. Um, but then the second layer to that is also culturally, 
Um, IT and operations folks are, you know, are have different uh, traditionally different goals in the business, different missions. Um, from an IT security side, we typically think of confidentiality, integrity, and availability. You know, the classic CIA triad. But on the operations side, it is all about safety, resilience, uh, and integrity. So think about it like availability, uh, integrity, and, and then confidentiality, right? So the, the priorities are flipped. So the cultures are different. And frankly, historically, oftentimes, the, the two groups didn't talk. Um, the OT people didn't want IT messing around in their environments because they don't understand operations. And from an IT perspective, we have been guilty, uh, you know, knocking systems offline by accident. Uh, OT systems tend to be uh, older. Um, they're in life, they're in use for many, 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 many years. Um, so sometimes there are devices out there where a mere vulnerability scan will knock them over. So we have to be very cognizant of that. Um, and Rock, quickly, the, the, the culture um, and the, 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 the upside down CAA, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> but what's, what's that driven by? I suspect it's driven by risk, right? So the physical risk in the OT world, somebody's hand might get chopped off. Right. Absolutely. Versus yeah. ransomware, uh, where privacy uh, and availability are are uh, more more in tune. Exactly. Is, is that? And are, can you share any any story, maybe from the oil and gas, uh, where what types of risks are, are are they even driven by risk? Is that safety risk all they care about all day and every day, or or do they not care about risk and oh no. Else? It is. Safety is very uh, front and foremost in their minds. Um, pretty much in, in oil and gas, manufacturing, power, water, whatever uh, the case may be, you know, they'll have an environmental uh, and safety group usually, or health and safety group, or it might be called different things within the organization, uh, to the point where at the beginning of every shift at a plant, there'll be a safety brief. Or at the beginning of every meeting, there'll be a safety brief. Um, even if it's just, you know, 30 seconds. So safety is ingrained into the culture. And uh, I'm just wondering, because as we're starting to talk here, I'm just thinking this is a group that's probably been operating maybe even longer than, than IT folks. Absolutely. Right? Building cars before computers, um, just as an example. I th I'm just thinking there might be some things we can learn from them i i don't know are are they considered is there an ot safety you said there's an ot safety group are they considered the department of no <laughs> like like it security is um <laughs> maybe sometimes yeah. right um you know you i i've still seen injuries or heard about injuries that are caused by simply using the wrong tools right and you know, where, I, where the safety people are always like, hey, use the right tool for the right job. Uh, but sometimes maybe the operator doesn't want to walk 100 yards back to the shop to um, grab another tool. So they use a, you know, a screwdriver and a hammer to try and uh, whatever, pry open a, a panel or whatever versus getting the proper tool. So, 
Um, I've definitely heard stories like that. And so, you know, you can think about that as, you know, sometimes people do bypass, uh, I guess you could say safety controls, uh, much in the way that sometimes people try and pass, bypass IT security controls. And so the, this idea of safety being discussed at the beginning of every meeting, I'm just wondering, is that, do we see a parallel there for IT security? Forgetting about the convergence at the moment, just, yeah. I'm just wondering, do we do enough of that? Is that something we, we should learn from there? Interesting. Is, I is, think is, is, is the business involved? I guess is the other question. Does, does the business have that conversation? Because as, as security folks, clearly we have that. What's the top risk, and do we have the controls, and how are we going to deal with it if if those fail? Um, I presume that the OT safety team has that same. Con the question I guess I have is: is that conversation for OT safety at the board and exec level as well? It absolutely is. I've seen it with just about every enterprise risk management group of a called an industrial sector company that I've worked with. Um, it, it's listed in the enterprise risk management risk register. Uh, you know, whether it could be listed under operational safety, health and safety. Um, it's right up there with financial risks and market risks and um, other operational risks. And, and now finally seeing more and more cybersecurity risks. But it is it is definitely discussed about at that level. All right, so let's let's talk convergence now. Then, um, so we we started with the network. So clearly, devices might sit on one or the other, both networks, and share information to help drive better business decisions, right, or better yeah. risk management decisions as well. Maybe both, and. So with that, we have to deal with some things. We'll get into that, but I want to talk about the convergence at the business level because if, if we're talking different cultures, different objectives, different goals, different conversation, I know we often talk about how CISOs have a different, a difficult time speaking sec IT security and business language, right, to help the, the executive leadership team understand and then take the right actions. Where does the convergence happen at that exec level where IT and OT are presenting as one? And I don't know, I presume maybe talking different languages as well and not really connecting the dots. So I don't know, are you seeing good things there or what's going on? We're still seeing challenges there. Um, IT and OT typically still roll up to uh, different uh, silos within the organization. Um, I mean, obviously everybody ultimately rolls up to the CEO, right? But um, I think there's still challenges there. I think that, you know, the biggest mistake that we do from an IT community and an information or cybersecurity community, I should say, is treat OT like IT. Um, it's not, it's totally different. Um, you know, devices, OT devices were manufactured, um, some of them decades ago, um, and they were never intended to be connected in the way they are now. So security um, wasn't in the forefront, both at the firmware level and at the software level. Um, and those devices may be in use for, some of those devices could be in use for 10, 20 years. And as uh, cybersecurity professionals on the IT side, 
Oh, we can't go and be laughed out of a room if you go into a, a gas plant or a power plant or a manufacturing line and tell them that they have to uh, shut the plant down to patch a bunch of systems, per se. Um, you're going to wait until the, the plant turnover uh, to do that. Uh, you know, an annual maintenance window or a biannual maintenance window. So what other controls can we put in place? How can we work with the operational groups um, to essentially put giant bubble wrap around those systems? Um, now, qu quickly, Rock, let's just take patching as an example. Yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking the, the I'll, I'll say the leader of the OT <laughs> group sitting in a room with the leader of the uh, – IT group and and there are patches in both environments. Um, how how does that conversation look from from a risk management perspective? Where IT maybe they don't get it right all the time. IT security may say these are the critical patches. We have five thousand of them. The these are the hundred we're going to take of take care of uh, this right. week. Um, what what does that conversation sound like in OT? Because what I'm picturing is a group saying, you don't know my environment. Stay out of my business. I'm not patching today, to your point. I'm waiting for that that annual uh, maintenance period to come. Yep. Um, so historically, that, that, that division was absolutely the case. Uh, I'm seeing more and more. I mean, the OT side, um, they're starting to get it that cybersecurity is a thing, that the threats are out there, that the risks are out there. They watch the TV and read the news just like the rest of us. And so they're starting to see the, uh, the impacts uh, that cybersecurity can have uh, to operational systems. Colonial Pipeline, as terrible as that situation was, brought huge awareness to, to OT security. And even though technically OT systems were not breached in the Colonial Pipeline incident, uh, it led to an operational outage. It led to them shutting down the pipeline. Uh, so people have seen it. It's kinetic. It's tangible now. So there's more cooperation there. From a patch management standpoint, specifically, you know, most of the OT vendors will publish which patches they support, right? So if you're working on a on a HMI, human machine interface system that's running Windows. Um, the software uh, on top of it, perhaps a SCADA system, that, that vendor will publish, hey, these are the Windows patches that we support. And so from a change management standpoint, those are probably the patches you're deploying. Um, and nothing more. So, and, and oftentimes they may be a, a, a patch Tuesday or two behind. So you have to take that risk into consideration as well. And so is that a bottoms-up type activity where it's the vendor saying, here's what you should do? Or are you seeing it as a top-down risk management program-driven activity that says, go find all the weaknesses and where we're at risk and, and then go to that vendor and either you already know because they told you or you uncover that there are patches that you need to... I'm just picking on patches for the moment, but is it a top-down ERM program or is it a, a grease the squeaky wheel because uh, that, that's all we have time to do program in OT specifically? Yeah, um, historically, 
that grease the squeaky wheel mentality. Like, hey, go to the vendor, tell us what patches are available. We'll roll them up every six months or every year and just avoid them. Right? Often, oftentimes, there's not an A side and a B side to a plant. Um, so you can't take uh, a system down to, to patch it. Um, I'm seeing more and more, though, from a risk management standpoint, vulnerability management in general is starting to become more of a thing in OT. Um, and, and the traditional cybersecurity groups are driving that. So there's more collaboration there. Um, but really when it comes down to from the tactical application of it, again, you're, you're probably only pushing the patches that the vendor supports. So while you're identifying more vulnerabilities and identifying the risks, the, the, the risk to operations typically outweighs the risk to not patching a particular vulnerability because you may have other mitigating controls in place, right? You may have uh, really good segmentation in place or, um, you know, really good anomaly detection in place uh, to where you can quickly um, identify something if it's going haywire or something like that. So um, it does become a risk management discussion. And is that is that converging? I think you mentioned that, that you're starting to see that converge a bit. Um, how how does that look? Is, is that um, what I'm trying to get to? Is the the initial ERM view right? What's the overall risk for the organization that then drives policy? And yep. ultimately, I want to get back to the old CIA or whatever order it's going to be, depending on who you're talking to. So first is What's the risk? How do we translate that into uh, policy that we can then flow to controls? Who owns that? Ah, that's so, a great question. What, I mean, a big company, there's probably a team, but as you work your way down into a small regional hospital, is there a, an ERM team? I don't know. Yeah, undoubtedly somebody, there may not be an ERM team, but undoubtedly somebody owns risk at the organization, that could be uh, the general counsel, that could be the CFO. Um, someone owns risk at the organization. Um, somewhere risk conversations are being had. Um, and I think as security leaders, it's coming upon us to go make friends with those people. Um, having said that, um, for cybersecurity across the entire world, then it makes sense to try and integrate uh, those risk and policy controls as much as possible. You know, the, you know, it's kind of why, if you think about it, we now use the term cybersecurity instead of just information security. Now, the challenge has been that, again, those OT systems were never defined, never designed to be connected uh, in the way that, you know, they are. So now they're subject to, to new threats that were never even considered. And so now, it, Everybody has just assumed that the CISO um, has taken responsibility for mitigating those risks. And however, the CISO and the security team oftentimes don't have the authority to make changes within the corporate IT environment, much less that OT environment. So, you know, we've kind of like over the years, uh, you know, gone from, or, you know, kind of like split and now, like you're seeing that convergence come back together about 
where the responsibilities and accountabilities lie. I am starting to see more cooperation between, like, call it the IT side and the OT side, which is fantastic. Um, everybody kind of gets the risk now. Everybody kind of gets the business value around IT OT convergence. Um, so I think we're seeing some positive trends there. Now, again, who owns it from a policy standpoint? Typically the CISOs and the CISOs who form, you know, kind of steering committees or architecture groups um, that are cross-functional across the, the IT and OT side are usually the ones who are most successful and actually applying that, getting that policy applied to the OT level. So is that a, is that a case of you've been managing IT security, uh, so you must be good at managing OT security? Congratulations, uh, Mr. Madam CISO. <laughs> Yeah, you, you have a new role. That's the assumption. Absolutely. Yeah. And is there? Have you seen any cases where there's a dedicated CEO? <laughs> so I'm making that term up. A chief operational security officer. Yeah. Is there a is there a digital twin for that role, or does it does it really need to change? And everything falls under the CISO. You know, I haven't, I have not seen a chief OT security officer. Certainly, we're starting to see more OT security specialists um, uh, being developed. There's, there's great curriculum out there um, from SANS and ISA and 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 various other groups uh, to to get specific OT security training. Um, so I've seen some more dedicated OT security specialists. Um, maybe a 50-50 split. And what I've seen, like, do they roll up to the CISO or do they really roll up um, to the operations team and kind of have the dotted line back to the traditional security team? And so with that, I mean, clearly, I mean, they're, they're – systems that are legacy devices that are legacy um the culture is legacy unless it's a new company and perhaps there's an opportunity to to uh start fresh um but i don't think doesn't sound like the the priorities of safety versus uh integrity and availability and privacy uh, are going to shift between the two groups so where will things come together in that sense, because when, when you when you have somebody responsible for all of it and there are competing priorities and objectives in different groups, how do you and I don't know, maybe maybe this is obvious for uh, the CISO and not me, <laughs> where you have different different business processes and different priorities and and some things may be. Uh, availability is more important than other systems. Integrity is more important. So maybe they're already doing some of this, but I'm just wondering how, how that culture comes together for CISO so they can manage different programs, if you will, um, uh, successfully. Yeah. Listen, buying beers for the operations guys, it goes a long way. Right. So beer, beer and donuts, <laughs> beer and donuts, right. Uh, pizza <laughs> for the operations guys. Uh, goes a long way. So it's really about building those relationships. And, you know, we've we've talked about it even here on ITSP before, how the soft skills for a CISO uh, is critical. And that that extends into 
uh, collaborating with the operations teams, right? There's gotta be collaboration, there's gotta be communication, there's gotta be uh, cross-functionality, there's gotta be um, shared interest among the groups. And I think that shared interest among the groups ultimately comes down to operational resiliency. Whereas, like you said, on the IT side, that resiliency may be data-led or privacy-led. But on the operations side, the resiliency is absolutely, you know, the, the getting stuff done led, right? You know, making sure gas is flowing through the pipeline or making sure that water is treated or making sure that that widget is flowing off of the, the operations line. Uh, but I think it all bubbles up to organizational resiliency and we are seeing more and more efforts uh, holistically there uh, from a business continuity standpoint, but that might be a different podcast. And I, w- I know we were joking uh, before we started about uh, the, the drama on uh, social media platform Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, on on that platform, you, you'll see, I'll say debates uh, around how technical different roles need to be. And if, if one is missing the, the technical chops, uh, they they shouldn't be in a, in a position or have a specific role. And I've seen that more at the at the analyst, uh, manager, leader level uh, for security. But I, I presume this still applies to, to the CISO role. And what, what I'm really getting at is how much technical chops, how many, uh, what kind of tech, technical chops does a CISO need to be successful in the IT security world compared to the OT security world? Um, can they get away with not knowing that environment and the technology stack and how it all functions? Um, can they do they rely on somebody else for that? Uh, or I don't know what, what does that look like? I certainly don't think they could get away with knowing nothing about the environment, right? Because that's where we go back to uh, kind of scaling back to what we know and then starting to treat OT like IT. Um, they certainly need to have uh, uh, at least, if, you know, call it a, an engine level deep understanding of operational technologies, the differences uh, between OT and IT. Um, maybe some of the, the more common protocols and how they operate and understanding just how kind of insecure they are. Um, and then really understanding that priority of availability first versus confidentiality first. Um, as you drive into it, right, you know, different organizations will have different resources. So you can start leaning in on OT security specialists, but if you don't have resources for OT security specialists, Go start leaning on. Um, undoubtedly, there are, um, I mean, I forget some of the titles, but effectively, there are IT people on the OT side, right? So the, the people who are supporting uh, those um, SCADA systems and the human management interfaces and the engineering workstations uh, and whatnot. Uh, so start leaning on them uh, to get some of that knowledge. And, you know, before, you know, you start writing a bunch of security controls are trying to push that over to the OT side, uh, bounce things off of them, bounce things off of uh, operational leadership um, to, to, to get buy-in. Um, but I mean, you can't get away with knowing nothing. So you should absolutely go out and and seek that knowledge or, or bring in external experts to help or, or whatnot. 
Um, but I don't think, you know, they don't have to be like the, the analyst, uh, hands-on keyboard level, right? And, you know, where you see that drama <laughs> that you were just alluding to, everybody's got a bias from, you know, like how they see the world, right? So an analyst is going to see the world from an analyst perspective. Uh, managers are going to see the world from a manager perspective. Um, uh, a gas plant managers are going to see the world from that perspective. So... I'll contest one thing you said, Rock. I get away with knowing nothing all the time. <laughs> yeah, but you, but you seek out the knowledge yeah. to learn, right? Well, the question is, do I do it successfully? And who knows about that? I'm joking. I, I, you're spot on. I think, yeah, know, know enough to know who you need to uh, lean on to, uh, to do the job properly. I want to get into, as we begin to wrap here, maybe – your definition of what success looks like. So let, let's speak directly to our uh, CISO peers here. How do they measure success for, or define and measure success for their executive peers so that they can communicate what's important, why they're doing it, and how well they're doing it? And then the, the other side of that coin, which is how do they how do they define and, and talk about success for their team? Teams, <laughs> IT and OT now. So right. those, those two things. So first I think, you know, to, to set yourself up for success, you need to have a long-term vision of how to align your program to business goals, right? And, that, and those business goals are either revenue or cost reduction at some, at, at some level, right? And it's always money. It always comes down to money, but you've got to achieve those goals, uh, align to those goals and what you want to do operationally, and then figure out the technology and the security controls that you can put into place uh, to support those goals. You know, we, on the IT side, are notorious for buying the new shiny toy and then looking for a problem to solve versus the other way around. Is that the equivalent uh, of, of not walking to the shed for the new tool? I'm sorry, is that uh, the equivalent of what? Well, it's not. Obviously, buying a new tool isn't uh, the same as not walking to the shed to, to get the right tool. But in the example you gave earlier, but perhaps you, just because the tool is there doesn't mean you have to buy it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, so then, I, again, I've seen successful IT OT convergence programs have, you know, clear governance coming from the top uh, and a strategy for actually dealing with those cultural differences between IT and OT. Now, how do you measure that success? Well, let's go back to basic program management or project management. At the beginning of every project or program, you should be defining those KPIs and OKRs that are gonna measure success. So what is the, from an IT OT convergence, again, what's the goal? Is it to reduce operational costs? Is it to reduce, uh, um, or increase process efficiency, and then how do you measure those goals? And then obviously those are the goals that you measure against and, and report to. Now, upstream, downstream to your team, you know they're supporting these goals, and hopefully, you know they're incentivized by um, whether it be you know they get to play with some new cool technologies that they've never got a chance to play play with before. Um, or they're motivated extrinsically, right? As the company does better uh, and as the company meets their uh, top level OKRs, um, 
you know, they benefit through bonuses or profit sharing or or uh, stock options, equity, whatever the case may be. So I think that's how you, you start connecting the dots. Nice. Yeah, I like, uh, yeah, I always refer to them as MBOs, different, different uh, three-letter combos for all of them. But uh, anything that aligns folks and measures them and incentivizes them, uh, to be on the same page, I think is is important. So, Rock, as, as we as we wrap here, what what I'm trying to think how what would be most useful for the CISOs to walk away with uh, as they listen here. I'm looking for one thing that they can do this week, and I don't know if we wanted to to target that message to. Well, it's just, I guess, presume everybody has some form of OT in their environment, right? So let's let's look at this from, there's OT there. They're not currently managing it from a security perspective. What What's your one thing they could take away this week to start doing? Go take the operations, uh, an operations person out to lunch. If you have access to them, right? You may be at a corporate office and... And, you know, they may be at a, at a remote plant or whatever, but start building those relationships with the operations people. Start understanding what they do on a day-to-day basis, how those technologies support those, um, their goals. Um, and what you're going to find is uh, oftentimes asset management is terrible on IT. It's even worse in OT sometimes. So they may not even know what devices are all floating around in the network and, and where potential risks are. So start build, bridging, you know, gaps that way, right? Help them, you know, identify those assets. You know, maybe there are things from IT, uh, from a, a process perspective that, that help in OT, like asset management, like identity management, vulnerability management. Um, and, and, but really start to, to kind of learn um, that side of the business how they do what they do, um, how that translates to organizational success, and then how you can align your programs and how you can support them. So again, you know, I kind of go back to that cross-functional, call it, you know, there could be a cross-functional governance team, there could be a cross-functional uh, architecture team um, to where, you know, people from both sides of the equation, IT and OT, are evaluating new technologies, changes to the environment, risks to the environment and, and whatnot. But it's really relationship building go go start building those relationships all right and so similar question let's look at a month out now uh and maybe maybe look back to your uh oil and gas uh example where at the end you knew more than you did at the beginning are there any tips or tricks that uh looking back on that program you could say if if I'd done this at the beginning, I could have saved people time or bought fewer tools or used them more efficiently or uh, any any insights from that that you can give to your your CISO group to say, just do this and you, you won't uh, turn as gray or lose as much hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In my case, maybe both. Um Take small bites of the elephant. Um, the OT security challenge is massive, right? So find kind of small wins 
that you can achieve. And then that, that helps to start build the trust and confidence that, that you as a holistic security program to take on more and more within that OT environment. So maybe you focus on, uh, you know, in my case would have been a smaller gas plant um, and uh, that process is there, or maybe um, um, taking a look at a smaller prob problem on, on a measurement system. Right, and then kind of start building your your knowledge and capability that way. Um, yeah, I would say take small bites out, out of the elephant. It's it's a long it's going to be a long journey um, to be able to wrap your arms around uh, just OT in general, and then much less the ITOT convergence challenge. Um, so just take it one step at a time. Well, it's a, a never ending journey as well, right? There is yeah, no finish. Yeah. <laughs> Or hopefully not. Yeah. That's why that's why we call it security programs, right? And I and I always make this very clear to you know well when I was in the leadership role, but now with my clients that I consult with is a project by definition has a start and an end. A program is is more ongoing and maybe a collection of projects. And we have to think of it that way, right? It is truly programmatic. Yeah, excellent point. And to wrap up here, uh, Rock, I'm, you've done so much already for the for the community at large. You're a founding member of this Blue Lava community, and uh, paying it forward. Why why is this important to you? And and what do you hope to continue to contribute? And perhaps even as others in the community contribute, uh, get from, uh, by being part of the community. So my community, uh, has been integral to my success. Um, you know, from mentors that I've had, uh, in the past coming up through my career to then launching my company, my community, my network, my tribe, whatever you want to call it has been absolutely critical to my success. And I feel that it's incredibly important for us to give back um, to the community to help bring up the next generation of, of cybersecurity uh, practitioners and leaders because the cybersecurity problem, as we know, is only growing. It's not going away. And there is way too much to do um, in cybersecurity in general for us to get into uh, you know, me as a consultant, not talking to another consultant because there may be competition there. There's too much work. There's too much uh, to do to not collaborate and then to go back and operate in silos. So I, I feel very strongly about trying to give back where where I can and 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 providing advice to others. As you can see, you know, I kind of started this when I had hair down on my shoulders. And so I've got a little bit of of knowledge behind me too that I'd like to that I've learned over the years that I'd like to to give back. I love that rock, and uh, I mean the conversation today shows that there's even more to do. <laughs> so it's it's not that way that we're stuck in a in a rut uh, dealing with certain things over and over and over. We have new worlds to uh, to protect, and they have different priority, right? Safety yeah. of of humans. Uh, in healthcare and manufacturing and, and other places and uh, that's important and so to take on this this challenge uh, I think to your point Rock we, we need to 
lean on each other, right? Partner with the OT group, lean on your peers in the CISO community here in Blue Lava. And uh, yeah, as you pointed out, learn from each other. So thanks Rock for, uh, for bringing that example and uh, your insights to this, uh, to this conversation. And thanks everybody for listening to this episode or watching this episode, if you happen to watch it. And uh, yeah, I know there, there's a lot of resources in the community for you to tap into. Perhaps there's a couple Rock will share uh, with everybody in the show notes. Uh, you mentioned a few standards and trainings and things like that. Perhaps those will be good to include. And with that, thanks everybody for being part of the Blue Lava community. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the LavaCom podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.